The TSN MMA Show is back for 2021. I'm joined, as always, by Bazooka Joe Valtellini, and we've got a pretty crazy two weeks coming up in terms of the uh, UFC. You've got uh, a fight night this Sunday night. It's on ABC for the first time. Apparently the first combat sports uh, to air on ABC in about 20 years, headlined by Max Holloway and uh, someone who you've trained with, Calvin Cater. And you've got the, uh, the Wednesday event, Neil Magny, Taking on Michael Chiesa on the main event, and then of course the uh, the the main event, the the big the big uh, dinner is on the the Sunday night UFC 257 Poirier versus McGregor too. So uh, a lot to talk about, Joe. Yeah, I mean this time off just made me miss it even more. We always complain when they're back to back, but I've definitely realized that I prefer having the UFC every single week. Hey, don't, say, we thought... don't say we. I never complain about it. I love it. Okay. Well, we, as I'm talking <laughs> us, us backseaters over here, but two, honestly, like I really thought even one week off is too long now. I mean, we're at a time where I need it weekly. I need my weekly MMA fix. If not, give me a boxing fight. You got to give me some combat sports on the weekend. I can't go through two weeks without it. It was definitely way too long. I'm not a huge football guy. Like, I enjoy watching the game, but I was forced in this last couple of weeks to get involved in football. I needed my my sports fix. So, without MMA, I'm jumping right onto the NFL bandwagon. Did you watch uh, Ryzen on New Year's Eve? No, I did not. It's the time difference got me. I watched it. The time I stayed difference up. got me. I stayed you up. You did it. I, I you napped. Did it. I found a good chunk of uh, a fight that I was I was like, I can nap through like four or five in a row. And four, yeah. five, fights, five fights on Ryzen take forever to get through. So I like set an alarm for three hours from then. Woke up and it was perfect. It, like woke up right at the main card, and uh, there we go. I wanted to watch Minowa Man, and he was the second fight on the card. And then after that, it was all like just whatever happened happened. But I wanted to watch the main event. I wanted to see Minowa Man, and, uh, and Gomi too, right? Gomi. And I wanted to see Gomi. Although Gomi was a weird. It was like a boxing match. It was like a weird mixed rules really? kind of thing. It was that, that one didn't. And he was against a guy that was like way smaller than he was. Like he was. He came in at like 175, and this other guy was like a 148 or something like that. Yeah, I didn't okay, get much. Yeah. And there was and there was like this Japanese okay. YouTube star who uh who uh, uh, tension. No, 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 not tension. No? This is one? this is like just a, this is like a, a Logan Paul type YouTube guy. I mean, like oh, okay. yeah, like this is a guy that's like he's more known for YouTube than for combat sports, and uh, he won. He beat like a, a okay. legit kickboxer because it was and mixed rules. Good? Yeah, he, I mean, he, he looked as good as a guy who spends most of his yeah. time doing YouTube videos. YouTube, with look, he's trained. Like, he, he, he won by a submission, right? So Okay. It was actually ruled a draw at first, and then they went back and watched the tape. They saw that the guy tapped out uh, during the fight. It was a bit controversial because the ref didn't catch it, and then they overturned it to, uh, to a submission yeah. win. Sounds like WWE. Yeah, it was, it was weird. The guy was actually running back and forth on the ropes like in WWE. So uh, okay. there was that, yeah. And uh, tension yeah, I, was, tension's awesome to watch. And, just uh, quick, fast. Oh, man, he's fast. Yeah. It was a decision, no? Wasn't it was a decision, yeah. Decision for tension. Okay. And uh, then, of course, the uh, Kyoji Horiguchi getting it done early against Ooh. Asakura. Kai Asakura. I just think it's uh, just weird. Even in this past 10 years, I think the, the MMA scene in Japan has really taken a hit. It has. We oh, don't yeah. seem to see the excitement that we used to. Like... Uh, the other day, Glory posted a clip of Gary Goodridge, and it just brought me back. Like, that was the dream of the martial artist. And when I was growing up, it's like to get to Japan, to to be there, the warrior spirit and um, the crowd, the audience, the respect, the homeland. So you kind of dream for to go to Japan. But now it doesn't seem like it's a hotbed anymore. Kickboxing isn't really doing anything there. MMA outside of Ryzen is not doing really anything. Have you uh, ever gone to Japan? 
Uh, yeah, my uh, my tournament was in Japan when I fought Raymond Daniels and Nikki Holtz. Okay, so you fought in Japan, not just been in Japan. You fought in Japan. Yeah. Wow, cool. So you ma- you made it. In Japan. You made it. I made you, it. Yeah, you I the dream. made it. That was the dream. Hearing Gary Goodridge tell me stories in the days of how amazing Japan was and how cool the experience and the people and you know just the lifestyle of being a star in Japan. I was like, man, I want that. Uh, so then my dream fighting in Japan came true. Glory thirteen. Well, I've always planned on going to Japan when I turn 40, which is next year, 2022. I just turned 39 last week. And, uh, oh, happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. So, baby, yeah, baby. Yeah, exactly. So ne- next 40, next year, 40, I was hoping to go to Japan, but who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's happening yeah. with this vaccine, with travel and all that? But I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful I can still get there uh, in 2022. That would be awesome. Yeah, I was just laughing. Uh, just before we went on, I read a little article of how uh, – Air Canada is getting in trouble because they're promoting travel vacations. Like the government's telling us to go home, and then all of a sudden, Air Canada's throwing travel deals at us. And they got a, they got a business go- to run. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, we're well, told listen, to stay home, right? They say essential. Tra- you're only supposed to leave your house right now if it's absolutely essential. Is it essential to go get a coffee from Tim Hortons? But Tim Hortons That's is running exactly commercials. It. Tim Hortons running my, commercials. My biggest thing is. What's essential to me is might be different than you, which is different than someone else, right? So, who knows? But I just think it's funny that uh, stay home, stay home, government, stay home, and then all of a sudden there's all these deals and enticing people. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you're hungry, you got all these commercials yeah. above Double things. the aeroplane oh, points. We all want to leave. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> we all want to leave. I'm all hungry. Stop giving me commercials of buffets. Well, like when I'm cutting weight, they're all food commercials, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to. When you're stuck at home staring at your walls and you see a nice beach vacation poster popping up, yeah, you want to get on there. Yeah, you got to uh, you got to resist the temptation. Uh, I don't know if you saw the news that just came down. Uh, actually, before we start, I do want to send my best uh, to uh, Robin Van Roosmal and the oh, yeah. terrible tragedy uh, that took place yesterday. Him and his sister, their car broke down. They were at the side of the road and a truck hit them. And uh, his mm-hmm. sister, unfortunately, didn't make it. Only 29 years old. So, uh, you know, yeah, best to the, again. Yeah, best to the Van Roosmalen family. Uh, certainly not the way you want to start off 2021. We're all hoping that this year brings us better, better news, better fortune. But, you know, things don't just change on a dime, right? So uh, it's unfortunate uh, for the Van Roosmalen family and want to send uh, my best to him. And I know you're close to Robin and you've called his fights yeah. and, and, uh, and all of that. So uh, really terrible situation over there. Yeah, we've, I actually found out yesterday doing some glory shoots because um, we're preparing for the big show. And when we heard the news, it was just ter- like terrible. I started tearing up the, you know, just the news of looking back, if you followed uh, Robin, his whole Instagram is about how much he loved his sister, them singing together, them, you know, just loving life together and being full of life every time they're together. So it kind of just makes everything so sad. And apparently they posted some Instagram stories together just before the accident um, to lose your sister like that and, and together and how much he loved her. Like go back on his Instagram. Like I was just going back and reflecting a little bit last night and just thinking of him. And I just saw all of his pictures of his sisters. It was just on her birthdays about how much he loved her. And it's just, it's so sad. And I don't even know what extent of injuries he has. I've heard his back. He's I, I mean, people said they today. broke their bat. I mean, your vertebrae and how, mm-hmm. what degree is. So, I mean, I have no idea what the extent of the injury is, but it's just, it's terrifying. Yeah, from what I And if you had... look back at his last year, it's been brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he kept having issues surrounding his fights, and uh, he hasn't had a, a, a great deal of luck the last two years in his transition to MMA. It seems like all these things keep happening, whether it's a weight-cutting issue or, or COVID or anything along those lines. So, uh, you know, best wishes to him. I, I did read today that he's having surgery for multiple fractures, uh, so hopefully he gets out of this uh, and is able to 
you know, resume uh, not just his career, but have a high quality of life. So uh, yeah, all the exactly. best to him. And uh, all right. So uh, the other news that, that came down today was uh, USADA has now uh, gotten rid of their ban for cannabis and uh, THC hey, in competition. Beautiful. So hoping that the other the, the other commissions will follow suit on that. Um, they did say that they are still going to be looking for impairment, any sort of impairment in competition. And they're going to do that based on what they see. You know, they're not really going to test based on levels because levels are different for everybody. Obviously, if you're a bigger person, you have less lower levels than, than if you're a smaller person. So kind of, uh, you know, weird in that regard. But Hopefully the uh, the commissions see this and they they follow suit. Yeah, I mean, there's still only what one or two commissions that follow the cannabis rule, isn't it? No, it's just, no, most uh, of them, Vegas, most of them right? still do. Most of them still have like a threshold that you have to follow. Most of them still have it. Yeah. Okay. So, I thought most of them didn't, and there was only a handful. Well, that did. the big ones do, like Nevada, California. I know Texas has a particularly low threshold. So um, hopefully that all gets turned around. I mean, Jeff Nowitzki made a very good point, which is, you know, when you have a fighter that's that wants to do have injury management, they'd rather have them you go that route than use like Vicodin or any of these, you of know, course. kind of harder, uh, more more addictive. Even even killers. multiple use of Advil, like even going and taking Advil, like you need two Advils before training, and then after training, guess what? You're going to be in more pain, so you need to take two more. And then guess what? You have night training. You need to take two before night training. They need to take two more after. Then hey, guess what? At night. It's hard to sleep. You need to take another two. So there you go. There's eight to ten Advil in a day. You multiply that every day. Your stomach, you get ulcers. It's terrible. Yeah. Or if you're it's my terrible. dad, you take two Robaxaset and uh, and a five-hour energy before you go golfing. So, you know. And say, get it done. Yeah. Be able to get your training in and get back. <laughs> Maybe he'll go Deal a different route also. <laughs> yeah. Deal with the pain, you know. Uh, pride. Take the pride. Pain is for uh, – what's the, what is it? I'm just losing my mind here. Which one? Pride is forever. Pain is temporary. Oh, I don't know. I don't know the quote. It's pain is temporary, pride is forever. Okay, so, there you go. There you go. So, Deal uh, with the injuries. Yeah. So uh, we, that's uh, that's the latest in terms of USADA. But uh, this uh, this weekend's event on ABC, big event, Max Holloway, Calvin Cater. Uh, how do you think this one goes? I mean, I know that we have to kind of state that you have something of a bias towards Calvin Cater because you yes, have trained with him absolutely. in the past. So uh, yeah, we, we will I, state that. And I, it's it's a hard one, right? Because you know, I I was listening to a show yesterday. Um, it's called the other yeah, Dogger Pass podcast. They do a good job with breakdowns, and they were they were explaining why they thought Cater could really take over in the late rounds of this fight. You know, Max, we saw him kind of. You know, if you look at the Volkanovski fight, he clearly won the first two rounds, and then the reason Volkanovski won that fight is because there were three close rounds at the end. But you know, two of the judges gave those three rounds to Volkanovski. I personally did as well. But uh, so th- they talked about how Max kind of slows down, but Calvin Cater seems to get better as the fight goes on. Yeah, that's what a lot of people are saying. Uh, and even if it was Calvin's last fight with Ige, he was kind of started a little bit more patient, um, setting things up, setting his range, you know. And I think that's kind of the, the the strategic approach he'll probably take against Max. I think, again, being that biased, I, I see Calvin having all the tools to do it. Just the way Max comes forward, just the way his chin positioning, his vulnerability to get hit. I mean, yes, is uh, you know Max Holloway one of the goats for sure, but. It's just hard for me uh, not to see Kelvin finding a way to win. Again, being biased, and I'm sure there's a lot of that in that. I just see even – I think he's a, a plus 140 underdog, which is pretty close if you think about you know being number six in the world with a, a former you know multiple-time champion. So, and when, interesting. And when was the last time Max wasn't in a title fight? I mean, it must be like several years, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. I just think – 
Kelvin's got that power to put you out. And I think that Holloway knows that. And once he gets touched with it, I think it's going to be, you know, a, a, a tough night. I think regardless is going to be one of these wars. I think Calvin knows that. I think the idea is they're going to leave that pretty banged up. I have, if I had to predict, I think it's going to be a five round banger. I mean, how tough, how durable. And just looking at the fight records, like one, they're both, um, Kelvin's the older fighter. You know, he's a little bit more mature, maybe has that little bit of power. On record, I'm pretty sure very similar. Kelvin might have a little bit more experience. They both only have like three losses on their career. I just think this is a good time for Kelvin. Nothing really to lose. And I just think Max, you know, took a lot of damage in some of those fights. So I think this is Kelvin being a little bit more fresh that could get some uh, real big uh, recognition here. Yeah, so it's been uh, almost five years. It'll be in June will be the five-year anniversary of, of the last non-title fight that uh, that Max Holloway has had. So it's been – and keep in mind, he was like 24 when he had that first title fight, right? So, yeah. I mean, he's still, still so young. He's only 29 years old, which is pretty amazing given how uh, good of a career he is. You know, there was a point where I, I thought to myself, you know, if Max Holloway continues to do what Max Holloway's doing, he could end up having the best career of any mixed martial artist just because he, he started doing things so young. He was so active. I mean, John Jones won a championship when he was young as well. Not quite as active. And, and also then you, you look at the different things that happened with Jones that a lot of people kind of disqualify him from being considered one of the all-time greats as a result of. You know, Holloway, I thought if he would have ended up winning the lightweight championship at some point in time, uh, you know, had he beaten Dustin Poirier for the, the interim belt, had he ended up facing Khabib that time, uh, I, I believe it was the UFC 223 in Brooklyn. You know, a, a lot of the these different things that Max could have accomplished would have put him right up there at the top. And I feel like people kind of forget about just how good Max uh, and his run were when he was at still such a, a young age. I, like, he's not even at the same age as people that hit their prime in MMA. Yeah. The problem is I don't love fighters starting that early. I mean, it really – it's inevitable. There's brain damage a part of the sport. And when you take those shots while you're still developing, like a lot of those guys who start too early, you don't see them really going into their 40s. Like I'm pretty sure like a, a Cormier started really late. You know, like a lot of the older guys, maybe Yoel um, wrestled a lot, but I don't know if he was taking the strikes when he was younger. But I just think someone that young in all those years of wars, it, it's got to take a toll on you. So, I, I mean, I think in, in a sense, Calvin might be the fresher, younger when it comes to fight years than Holloway, right? You got to look at fight years, the damage that we've seen Holloway take. I mean, we really haven't seen that from Cater too much. Outside of those big one or two shots that breaks his nose, that looks messy. We haven't really seen Calvin get beat like that and take those shots. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are saying the same sort of sort of thing for uh, Cormier, sorry, uh, for Poirier rather versus McGregor next week. You know, you look at. Uh, I said this to Dustin when I spoke to him uh, yesterday. I said you have. I think it's not even close. The 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 hardest strength of schedule that anybody's had in the last four years. Like so, since yeah. since McGregor beat Alvarez. Basically, this is who this is what Poirier's um, schedule was. I believe it was Jim Miller, Anthony Pettis, two fights with Alvarez, fight with Gaethje, Max Holloway, Khabib, Dan Hooker, and I think there's even one that I'm forgetting uh, that's in there, and now Connor. I mean, like that that's that schedule is just absurd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all about your fight years. But and then you and look at McGregor though. Like McGregor during yeah. that time, he had the, the Mayweather boxing match, he had the Khabib fight, and he had the Cerrone fight. And that's it. That those are the three fights he's had during that span of time. And you look at that murderer's row that I just mentioned that Poirier had to face, and people say, "Well, when something's going to have to break eventually with Poirier? Like, you know, when does that catch yeah. up with him?" 
And a lot of people think it's going to be this fight with Connor. Like, personally, I look at the odds for that fight, and I just can't wrap my head around it. Because to me, I think Poirier has clearly established himself as the, as the second best lightweight in the world behind Khabib. And if Khabib is hypothetically no longer going to fight, that would make Poirier the best lightweight in the world. And you think Conor McGregor is, should be at minus 275 or whatever it is, favored over the best lightweight in the world. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is a totally different fight. People have to look at it this way. And just looking at the maturity of Poirier now versus six years ago when he fought... Connor and I, I had mentioned this to him as well. That fight with Connor, everybody who was matched up with Connor was like, "I need to beat this guy because he's not going to take what's mine. I got to slow his momentum down." It, you know, the, the, I don't think the hype is real. Everybody knows the hype was real now, but with yep. Poirier, his, his approach can be so much different. You know, as a result of that, he can just look at it and be like, "I know that Connor's the real deal. I know that I'm the real deal. I've proven it." Both these guys are a lot more cordial with each other right now. Uh, there's a lot, you know, there's a charitable element involved. It feels like the, the, the tone of the fight is so much different. Uh, in, again, it's so much different in tone than the first fight. Yeah. I just think with Poirier, the big problem is he's the nice guy in, in, in the world, right? He's, when you talk about the, the, the bad boys in the sport seem to get the attention. So I think a lot of times, like if you, if you were to even ask me and say, Joe Listo, you're probably your top lightweights. I don't even know if Poirier would have even crossed my mind in, in the top. Um, three or four or five. I mean, it's just, I don't know if it's... Would you put ahead of him? Attention. Well, I mean, it just right away, my mind would go to other guys. Like so that's what I'm trying team. to say. Then when I looked at, the, if I were to look at the record, I would be like, ah, Pori, I can't believe that just slipped my mind. But usually, for some reason, he's not uh, just sticking to me as one of those top guys. How though? So if I said name the best lightweights in the world, who would come to mind before Poirier? Aside well, I would have think right away, I would say Connor. I would have said Connor over him. I would have said Khabib over him for sure. Those are the two, 100%, I would say, uh, right away. I'd probably say Gaethje before him, Ferguson before Poirier him. Poirier beat Gaethje. I know, but my mind does not go there. <laughs> That's Ferguson's on a two-fight losing streak. For some reason, for some reason, <laughs> my mind doesn't go to him. Don't ask me why. I don't know. I, I mean, it know. should go to him. But, uh, like, yeah, it should. He's, he's been saying. in all these wars. That's my point. I'm bashing myself here. It's not like he's a boring fighter. Why. It's not like he's Volkanovski, who's like, he winning by decisions. You know, he's... I have no idea why. Okay. Guilty. Guilty. Because uh, to me, I think, I think he's clearly the best light, lightweight in the world right now if you take Khabib out of the equation. Like, I just think what, he, what he's done over the last couple of years has cemented him as being, like, mm-hmm. you look at how he beat Holloway. He beat Holloway, you know, start to, almost start to finish. He lost, I think, one round against Holloway. He, uh, mm-hmm. in the fight against uh, Gaethje, test of wills, ends up just being the grittier fighter. Beats, beats Alvarez after that kind of controversial first fight. They end up having the rematch. Like, uh, just so many different things that he did. That uh, I just think put him right at the top of that division. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you. I just my mind doesn't want to put him there for some reason. Okay, he doesn't give me in that division the um, the excitement for some reason. I don't know. It's just a weird mental block I have. Weird mental block. Yeah. So uh, just it's interesting. You know, it's just a very interesting uh, situation because I I just don't think that Connor should be that big of a favorite over him because I think if that fight gets out of the first round. Maybe the second round. Let's say it gets out of the second round. Like, Poirier, it's yeah. like the momentum is going to shift quickly. Yeah. And I asked Poirier I about know. this. I said to Poirier, like, Connor says he's going to knock you out within a minute. What you, you said that what you want to do is make this a bloody fight and you want it to become a test of wills. Like, what are you going to do in order to get the fight there, to get the fight to be kind of a test of wills? And he said, I just need to be smart. I need to fight really smart. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's right. He does. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's basically all there is to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's Connor's sneaky shots. He, he'll put shots that you don't see. So, I mean, Poirier is just a veteran and just has to kind of stay patient, I think, is the key. Patience. Yeah, well, we'll uh, see. That's coming up very soon, and I'm sure we'll have a, a more in-depth breakdown of that fight next week uh, on the show, so stay tuned for that. Uh, I found out I am getting time with Connor, so I'm excited about that. I'll be interviewing him hey. at 2 a.m. On, uh, on Sunday, well, Monday morning. All right. So, uh, is that an interview you have to prepare for, or are you just going to go in and flow? Um, well, I, I prepare for all of my interviews, but I'm not really like a... What I usually do is I have a notepad. I watch a bunch of other interviews or some other videos, and anytime I, something kind of captures my attention, I write it down on a notepad. Um, okay. You know, and I'm speaking to Michael, and a lot of the times I don't even do that. I just kind of watch interviews. I, I get what's in my mind, and I, I just kind of go. Most of my interviews are like that. Um, okay. But, you know, when I spoke to Dustin yesterday, I had kind of a, a, a list of six or seven notes that I wanted to – of things that I wanted to make sure I touched on with him. It'll probably be the same with Connor. But uh, I, uh, I like my interviews to be a little bit more free-flowing. Uh, you know, I, I try not – yeah, yeah. I, I try not to, to have too many notes. I know Helwani's kind of the same way. He doesn't really – he likes to just make it a conversation. And I, I, it's funny. I listen to a lot of interviews with him, and uh, I think to myself, like, man, I really wish I would have asked that. Like, he's, he's really – I mean, in terms of interview skills, I don't think that there's anybody that's as good as Helwani in this space. I think that uh, – And the way he pulls questions out of people too. Because a lot of times as a journalist, you want to ask certain questions. And I think he's not intimidated. And I also agree that you are in the same boat as him, that you guys aren't really intimidated to ask the right question. Yeah. And I think a lot of people like myself who kind of looks at myself as an analyst and, you know, still like an athlete, it's hard for me to ask those questions sometimes knowing that I might be annoyed by that question. So where I think you guys are professional journalists who actually get out there and ask the right questions. Yeah, and I try to – I try to – at least more recently, I've really tried to stay away from kind of the drama and the, the beefs and all of that. I feel like the sport's yeah. starting to go away from it too. I think with this kind of more mature Connor, um, you know, you'll you'll still see you know see trash talk here and there. But if you look at this Kiesa versus Magni main event, like these guys are not going to talk trash about each other. They just have such a deep respect for each other. They're both really nice guys. And Kiesa mm-hmm. said to me um, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, yeah, when I spoke to him, he said there was a time where I just was outside of myself. I tried really hard to like mean mug guys and, and talk trash and he was, it just wasn't me that's not really who i am and uh and i think that a lot of fighters did that because that was kind of the direction the sport was going in i feel like to to try to manufacture drama that's not really what my job is not really what i want to do so um yeah some people like that and that's fine and i've, I've got no issue with that um and and that is what kind of gets the headlines and generates the clicks is is that kind of talk but uh, you can also get there without trying to, like, really pull it out of people. You know, like, I spoke to Ponzinibbio last week, Santiago Ponzinibbio, who's on this weekend's card against Yi Jing Lang. And I was just asking him, like, Good fight. I was just asking about his frustrations of being kind of on the shelf for, for all that time and, you know, having to, having uh, all these medical issues. And he, like, just organically said to me, yeah, he goes, this guy I'm fighting, Jing Lang, like, he's like, I have no problem with him, but he, like, I'm going to, I'm going to hurt him really badly because I, need to take my frustrations out on somebody and he just happens to be that unlucky yeah. guy so that's like kind yeah. of trash talk like you're getting some trash talk there and and all of that but it's very organic it's, i'm not saying what are you going to do to this guy tell me what you're going to do to you you know to yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it doesn't need to be that direct it can kind of get there through other avenues yeah no i agree and that's the good way of doing it i just uh just feel that fighters now, when you're in an interview, and usually you might be the fifth, sixth guy down, and everyone has asked the same question. 
So, I mean, sometimes I think when you can spark something outside of fighting that catches their interest, I think is a key a lot of these times. And then they're excited to talk about it. Like I've heard you talk about music with guys. And then when they're like, oh, he asked me something other than fighting, they get excited because now they can share their passion and it's a different question. So I think that's what you and uh, as well as Ariel does really good. Well, there was one thing that uh, when I was talking to Poirier that uh, we got kind of deep on, which was I asked him, you know, for your legacy after your career, obviously, if you beat Connor, it's such a big part of your legacy. But if you could choose between being remembered for being an all time great fighter or being or or being remembered for all the good you've done outside of the cage, you know, the Good Fight Foundation, raising millions of dollars, you know, what would you prefer? Yeah. And he was like, wow, that's a really, you know, that, that, that's a question I really need to think about. You know, it's because ultimately the people that know him, that, that, he, that he in his life values, let's say, more than the general public. I'm sure that, that he, to them, he would rather them be like, Dustin Poirier is a good man. He raised a lot of money for charity. He's done a lot of good in this world. I think that would be more important to him than, but, but your ego wants to be remembered for being great, a great competitor, great athlete, great, you know, one of the best mm-hmm. to ever do it, which if he beats McGregor, you know, he's now in that pantheon of fighters. But uh, when you ask what you'd prefer, like what's more important to you, it's, a, it's tough because I think from an ego standpoint, he'd probably rather be remembered as a great competitor, great athlete. But, you know, when it, when it really comes down to what, what you want to be known for as a, as a human being, you know, helping so many different people and, and really giving back to your community – I feel like is yeah. is more important. I think I think as humans we are, we kind of need to resolve that as well. You know, like ultimately, if I had the choice of being remembered as being a, a great MMA journalist or a great sports journalist or whatever, or being known for doing a lot of great things in this world and helping people, I, I'd rather be remembered for helping people and doing great things in this world. But mm-hmm. I, I devote so much more of my time to my job, right? Because I love doing this job and cool. I'm passionate about it, right? So, you know, I I just mm-hmm. I, I find it kind of an interesting thing to think about because. You know, a lot of a lot of what we do in life is ego driven. Yeah, but why can't you do both? Why can't you, for example, like if you want to be the best journalist and the best father, I mean, why can't you do both? Or, or why can't I be, you know, a world champion who helps people? You can. You know, I think but it's I'm, possible. But I'm saying, you know what I mean? But I'm saying, like, if you, if have, you to have to choose, one. if you have to choose, right? To that's choose. what makes it a yeah. difficult question. Because obviously, I'm sure Poirier yeah. would love to beat McGregor and get be known for both. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? What's, yeah, what's stopping exactly. him, right? But if you have I was to, like, why not do both, Aaron? Yeah, Just yeah. do them all. Like, because I think, yeah, I think that's ultimately, tough. that's a very tough question. You, you know, you as a, as a world champion kickboxer are, are an icon in the kickboxing world. You know, people think about you and they think about what you've accomplished and, like, you know, they, a lot of people idolize you for that reason. But I'm sure that the people that you teach at your gym, they think of you as Joe, their instructor, and Joe who's helped them you know, get their life, keep their life on track and be, be in good shape and, and help their mental toughness and, and mental strength. And, yeah. and I think it's important because even, like, even with me, like I was the high school teacher. When I won a world title, I was still high school teaching with special needs kids right, every day. So, I mean, that was my passion was to use my sport to help people and to kind of create attention. I mean, I still that's kind of my plan. I hopefully I was always wanted to do a foundation to kind of get uh, at risk kids. I want to get at risk kids in Scarborough into gyms. Mm -hmm. That's something I really want to look forward to doing in the future. Hakeem Dawoodu does a lot of that in Calgary. He he comes and speaks to a lot of uh, a lot of students and and tries to keep them on the straight and narrow. It's important. It's important. I mean, little things like that. You just got to keep doing. I think we're losing that a lot of times now. Those little talks to the community. We forget about our community now. It's important, especially now when we're not allowed to be six feet away from someone. Like, we got to stay away. It's 
we got to find a way to keep us all together. Yeah, so I mean, the, that interview with Poirier, if anybody wants to watch it, it's on YouTube, on TSN's YouTube page. It's also on tsn.ca slash UFC. Uh, and it will be on the interview edition of this show next week. So next week's interview edition is going to be pretty stacked. It's going to be Poirier, Connor, Dana White. <laughs> you know, so not, not bad. Yo. Not bad. What's, uh, what's your number one for Connor? My number one what question? What's your what's your what's your what's your storyline for him? Like, is there something that stands out that like I really want to ask him this question? Um, I, I I don't really know offhand. I haven't really gotten there yet. I'm still I, I'm interviewing Michael okay. Chandler in two hours. That's where that's kind of where my brain. Okay, is Okay, right so now. that's where you are. Like, I, I've had okay. these thoughts about what I want to ask Connor already in my head, but uh, yeah, like I mean, one one thing I want to ask him, and I've I've been kind of asking. I asked Poirier this, and I asked Neil Magny this. Is like when you are. When you don't have an opponent, when you know he hasn't had an opponent scheduled for a year, um, almost a year. When when you look at Cowboy, and then before he fought um, Cowboy, he didn't have an opponent for a year and a half or whatever it was after the Habib fight, maybe a year. How important is it to have th- those times when you can just focus on yourself? Like that's how Neil Magny put it to me: is like when you don't have an opponent, all of your focus com- becomes shifts from an opponent to yourself. And he felt like that yeah. was where he had his best evolution, Neil Magny, because Neil Magny was suspended for a tainted supplement. He ended up having a kid. He was able to really change the focus on his in his life because he was such, such an active fighter. He was fighting three, four times a year sometimes. But he was able to yeah. take the time to step away from focusing on Santiago Ponzinibbio or whoever he was going to be fighting and focus on Neil Magny. So I'm very it's curious draining. about that. It's definitely draining. It's so draining to always think about someone and not yourself when you're always in camp. But I, I look at Conor McGregor as like um, the last glory show when I had to kind of interview Badr Hari. It's almost like some subjects are a little bit more sensitive than others. So you, I found with someone like Badr, like I had to kind of prepare and kind of know the storyline because he gets very irritated with some types of questions. So I, was, I had to kind of think a step ahead when playing those interview games. Yeah, well, so, I also want to go back so and watch my interview with Connor from last year because I felt like it was very different from everybody else's interviews with him. So, and I want to keep that same kind of tone. I don't want to have to, um, you know, I don't want to have to go down the same road as everybody else. I feel like I can get more out of him yeah. if I kind of go down a little bit of a different avenue. And it seems like a lot of people are talking about his son right now because he's in pictures with him and stuff. That could be a fun little topic, Connor Jr. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, need to, I need to kind of do my my research. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm going to. Right. I'm going to today. You'll be well tomorrow. prepared. You'll be well prepared. Yeah, but it's also it's not just about the preparation. It's about um, it's about making sure that uh, I I get the best out of him. You know, I I I feel like there's going to be certain things that I can discuss with him that um he'll open up on and i've got to just find those things because i haven't really gotten there yet like i said i, I haven't really yeah. I'm, i i again i'm kind of in michael chandler mode and working on that okay he's got a pretty exciting fight you happy with the chandler matchup yeah i think so i mean so here are the possibilities for chandler you got ferguson but i think ferguson is coming off a pretty bad loss and, and also probably needs some time to recover Oliveira was apparently offered the fight and said that he didn't mm-hmm. think he was gonna be able to cut the weight um in in that amount of time with the short turnaround. Um, and then after that, I mean, you look at Rafael Dos Anjos, you look at Dan Hooker, you look at Paul Felder. Those are kind of the, the next tier of lightweights. And I think that of that tier of lightweights, um, that uh, Dan Hooker's at the top. like Dan, And I think yeah. that Ferguson's kind of shifted down to that next tier of, of, of lightweights as well. I think the yeah. top tier yeah. right now is Connor, Khabib, if he's going to fight again, 
Poirier, and I think Charles Oliveira has broken through there. I think Charles Oliveira is now in yeah. the top tier of, of lightweights. Over a Gaethje. Over yeah. a Gaethje. And Michael Chandler's kind of in the okay. Will C stage. Like, let's, let's see. Let's see what he does against Dan Hooker, and we can kind of go from there. Because I think if Hooker yeah. ends up beating Chandler, he gets back kind of into that upper echelon of the, of the lightweights, and then you end up doing maybe an Oliveira versus Hooker fight. Although Dana White, in a recent interview, kind of alluded to the idea that maybe, Char- that maybe Oliveira will fight for the title against the winner of this fight, if Khabib's not coming back, the winner of, uh, <laughs> of Poirier and uh, McGregor. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just think this is the right fight for Chan. I think it makes sense not to just throw him in the top of the division. It kind of gives him like a, a step to earn his stripes almost. You know, if you're taking on, I think the UFC has uh, Dan Hooker at number six. So at least it gives him a stepping stone rather than, hey, here's, you know, number one contender or here's a title fight. Kind of makes his it makes him earn his stripes a little bit. And I like Do you have those rankings in front of you. Uh, yeah. So, so how is it? What's the pecking order right now? You have Khabib's the champ. Uh, right now, I mean, it's always um, all over the place. But one is uh, Khabib as the champ. Uh, sorry, the champ, Khabib. Number one is Gaethje. Two, Poirier. Three, Oliveira. Four, Connor. Five, Ferguson. Six, Hooker. Seven, RDA. Eight, Felder. Yeah. So, I mean, Gaethje is the one that I kind of forgot to mention. And they're looking at a Gaethje. And uh... so, Gaethje's number one still. Gaethje, they have He's ahead of Poirier. One. Yep, Poirier is two right sense. Now. Again, this could be the, the UFC rankings on the website seem to be all over. But right now, Gaethje 1, Poirier 2, Oliveira 3, Connor 4. I don't know how you could rank Gaethje ahead of Poirier when Poirier's beaten Gaethje. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Because Poirier is not like Poirier has lost a bunch of and fights. They he lost to Khabib. They both lost to Khabib. both lost to Khabib. And Poirier yeah. gave a better account of himself, I would say. Although Gaethje did win that first round officially. I didn't think he won it. Did they look at overall record to see, okay, based on overall record? But I don't know. Like you said, I think it's Poirier all arbitrary. It. I don't think that they look at anything. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you could do Gaethje versus Chandler. You could do Gaethje versus Oliveira um, and see see how that goes. Gaethje versus Oliveira is my dream fight. I would love to watch. Those are, like, my two favorite That's fighters incredible. to watch in, in an MMA. That's incredible. Yeah. Hopefully that, hopefully incredible. that comes together. Apparently, Oliveira's yeah. people are saying, well, I don't think we need to we, – we shouldn't have to fight him. We should fight the winner of Connor versus uh, – Poirier, but I think he, I think he would sure. I think he would beat Gaethje. I think Oliveira would beat Gaethje. It would be a good fight. But the funny the funny story with Oliveira is though, like, what was he sitting at? Like ten all last year? Yeah, pretty much. You know, but... like eight, nine, ten. Then all of a sudden, one fight does phenomenal. Now he's already talking title. Like from someone who was barely talked about in the division as one of the top because he's been sitting there. Now all of a sudden he's. Shot. But it's like because people are finally looking right at there. how you win a fight as opposed to who you're beating. Yeah. Everybody, oh. In a stacked division with these guys, yeah. he did that. But he, which he, is he even obliterated better. Ferguson in that fight. Like, that fight was not yeah. close. Yeah. You could Incredible. you could argue two 10-8 rounds for him in that fight. Yeah. 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 In, insane. I mean, I think just think it's insane to see Oliveira finally get the attention he deserves. He should have been probably sitting there from last year, but he had that dominant win get them there just that opportunity well who's going to beat I Oliveira who's going to beat Oliveira nobody. right now if, if you look that's what I was just about to ask you <laughs> I, I don't know I, who, like, I think Poirier would be the worst matchup for him because of Poirier? because yeah. of his durability um, yeah. but I, I, I don't but know grappling wise you would think Oliveira would be able to just out grapple Poirier maybe yeah, yeah I think maybe. so I think so and and I, think, I think he can out grapple I think from what we saw in Gaethje in his last fight I think he'd be able to take Gaethje down and submit Gaethje um, yeah. So I mean, let's see. But I, I, I don't think Connor would. Connor would be a fun fight too. I 100 really, percent agree. Stylistically, like it's stylistically, it's phenomenal. Yeah. 
But again, if I think if he gets Connor down to the ground, it's always lights out. It's over. Yeah, I agree with <laughs> that's that. Too. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, McGregor's yeah. got that one weapon that I just think if if he hits somebody with that shot, the scary strike. Yeah. yeah. So the timing know. of it is just too nice. But how many times has Oliveira been KO'd? Like, uh, I know Pettis submitted him. I don't know how many times he's actually been uh, KO'd. I, oh, uh, Felder KO'd him, I believe. I think Felder knocked him out on the ground. Felder knocked him out. Let's see. I can look quickly here. Beat Ferguson, beat Kevin Lee, beat Gordon, beat Lentz, uh, beat Tamer, beat Miller. Uh, what was his losses? His loss to Felder was KO, second round. TKO slash KO. His loss to Felder. Yeah, that was on the ground. That was in Detroit. I remember that event. Uh, then he lost to submission to Pettis. Lamas. Oh, Lamas. And, yeah. But and that's then 45. he lost to submission to Pettis as well. That's also 45. Yeah. So in so, 155, his only yeah. knockout, his only one loss, too, yeah. at 155, was to Felder. Although he started his career, I believe, at one. Did he start at 155? I feel like his first couple fights were at 55, but I might be wrong on that. Hmm. He's fought so many times, it takes a while yeah. to go back. Yeah, you gotta scroll. <laughs> I'm really scrolling loaded more. But uh, yeah, I just think he's well deserved. Yeah, he's also a guy that hasn't taken a ton of damage in his career, which I think will help him. He's, he's one of these really, like, he started at age 20 in the UFC. Like, he's been in the UFC forever. You're saying his first fight was uh, Darren Elkins? Yes. Yeah, August yeah, 1st, he subbed, 2010. He subbed Darren Elkins. Yeah, and then second fight. So that would have so been that's 45. Uh, 145. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I guess he started. I, I guess he didn't go to 55 until later on. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just eager to see what he can do um, against these top guys at 55 because I think that he's, based on what we saw him do to Ferguson, I think he can hang with any of them. I agree. I agree. I think we both kind of said that from a while ago. Yeah, too, I've, I've been on the, I've been on on the Oliveira ranking. train for a long time. Yeah, you definitely have. I still give you credit from the longest time with Curtis Blades. You were calling Curtis Blades out as being one of the top for a while. Yeah, for sure. You've been calling Curtis Blades. Yeah. yeah that one that sticks to me. I don't know why Curtis Blades sticks to and, me as and one. And Kevin of your... Lee was one of my guys early on too, but uh Kevin Lee, I don't know how I don't know how far he's gonna get when he comes back, but he's he, he he's probably gonna come back at uh, at fifty five. We'll see what he does. He wanted to take some time away, so I don't know when he's planning on coming back. I, I do know that uh He's an interesting name if you think about Nate Diaz because uh, Dana came out yesterday, I believe it was, in an interview with uh, The Mac Life with Oscar Willis, my guy. Uh, your boy. I, I love Oscar. Good, good dude. But uh, he basically said to Oscar that they're, they're looking at something right now for Nate Diaz at 155 pounds. So far, okay. we've eliminated Ferguson. Dana White said it wasn't Ferguson. Paul Felder came out and said it wasn't him. Ferguson would be good, though. Ferguson would be amazing. Ferguson, That's the one. Ferguson would be very good. That's the good, one to make. But uh, yeah. if if it's not going to be Ferguson, it's not going to be. Uh, what about Gaethje? I mean, Gaethje would be interesting. I don't know if you want to put him right up there, but Dana White did say if if he won that fight, he'd be right in the mix. So I don't yeah, know. I don't Gaethje, love that one. Oliveira. I don't know. The RDA. The RDA rematch doesn't interest me at all. But it seems like a lot of people yeah. want to see that. RDA smoked him in that fight, but I know that he was coming into that with an injury. Gaethje or Ferguson for sure. Yeah. Gaethje or Ferguson. I would say Ferguson first. Gaethje second. Yeah, that would be fun. Ga- the Gaethje fight would be awesome. Because it would be take place almost entirely on the feet. Like I don't think Gaethje would be looking for takedowns against Nate. The low ki- that it would be calf kicks versus volume jabbing like little punches to the face. Yeah. You know that just wear him down. Yeah, that's fun. as good of a fight as you could watch. I, I would love to win yeah. that fight. 
Especially yeah. with the I'm mental warfare. If, if you can do that in an empty arena with the mental warfare, him, him slapping mm -hmm. Gaethje and, and seeing how Gaethje would react to that, whew, that would be interesting. Because I don't know how, I don't think Gaethje no, would take kind to that. You know, I would love to see it. But you don't think... Uh, Dana was saying there's no chance of seeing Nick Diaz back. He doesn't see... Um, his return being anything even near in the UFC. I don't think we should see Nick, Nick Diaz come back, honestly. I just don't. I don't see. So if you were going to bring him back, the one fight that makes sense to me, there's only one fight that makes sense to me for Nick Diaz if he was to come back, Diego Sanchez. That's the fight that I, I would like to see. If you're going to bring back. Would Nick be 55 or 70? Nick 70. Nick's never done 55. Nick would be. He's never done. Yeah. Okay. So you do Diego at 170. Diego's been fighting at 170 recently. Oh, that's what's confusing me. I was like, I didn't know Diego went to 170. Diego's been 45, 55, and 70. So, um, okay. yeah, because remember he fought like Michelle Pereira. He fought uh, Mickey Gall. Like these are all these are all welterweights. So um, that's the fight to make. I think. I think you make it 170 pounds. You do Nick Diaz versus. Like that's the one thing. That's the one fight that I'd be comfortable watching Nick Diaz come back for. Yeah, because both I just older don't know. Guys yeah, both older guys. Out. I don't know how much Diego has left, and I think that you give Diego the chance to kind of go out on. I think Diego says he has one fight left. I think you give Diego the chance to go out on a win because I mean, let's face it, Nick Diaz hasn't won a fight in like eight years. Yeah. What about even uh, now that you bring up some of the older guys, we can talk about the co-main event. Yeah, Matt Brown and Condit. It's a great fight. Yeah, so that's the winner for Nate. Uh, sorry for Nick. There could be fun too. Yeah, but I don't but know. I feel like those guys are kind of a level ahead of Nick. At this, like, a, I mean, maybe Matt, maybe Matt Brown. I, I don't know. So hold on a second. Let's go back to that fight though. When you said maybe Matt Brown, so you think there's a slight advantage for Condit going into this one? Yeah, Condit's, Condit? Condit's a small favorite, but uh, yeah, and I don't you know. Agree with I, that? I, 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 I don't really know how this one's going to go, honestly. This is one of those ones where you kind of have to wait and see. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I would think Condit. I would leaning towards Matt Brown. I, I would lean Condit slightly. I would slightly lean Condit. Yeah, my gut's going to, to Brown. Yeah. Again, I know Matt Brown. I met him a couple of times. Oh, he's so a maybe great guy. That's why that little bit edge goes. So mm -hmm. again, biased. Uh, slightly biased. We're not close friends, but we've met a couple of times. But I just think he's. Uh, I think he's got to do it. I think Condit leaves his chin a little bit too high sometimes. And I think Matt Brown is power. I think he's the, from what I read, he's the the number one uh, finishes in the welterweight division, yeah. the most finishes. Condit's never been finished, though, uh, by strikes. Only subs. Okay. So, I don't know. But uh, that's a great fight. That's know. that's one that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, me too. I'd like to see me the too. winner of that fight face Cerrone. I know Cerrone's already beaten Matt Brown. Yeah. But I, I would like to see. Okay. I wouldn't mind seeing that fight get run back between Cerrone and Matt Brown. And uh, I think We're Cerrone and Condit would be interesting. Series. Yeah. But legend WEC series. WEC never yeah. die. Condit versus yeah, Cerrone. Yeah, the legend series. Why yeah. not? But, but that's, what, that's kind of what my point was when everyone says, like, if you're when they're like if you're not a world champion retire but i mean there's still money to be made that's Most a ridiculous people thought should kind of know that's a ridiculous i thought. mean like a lot of people are like well if i know i'm never going to be a world champion i'm out or like but there's other fights you can do you can still make a living you can still entertain you can still play the sport this is what they know? love so to do what they work their whole life series, towards you know? it's yeah. like saying if i don't win a pulitzer prize i should stop being a journalist i love doing yeah. this this is my like this is what i love to do so I mean, yeah. these fighters—they they, don't—they don't necessarily always care about wanting to be champions. A lot of them are in it for to be prize fighters. They want to make money. And, yeah. and, and I mean, in the beginning, you should have the intentions of being a world champion. I don't think you should go in with the mentality of being, "Hey, I'm going to be here. I want to be a gatekeeper in a." No, but here's the question you know? for you, though. And I, and I ask this, and I, I don't mean to like—I won't even name names. But if you're like a 24, 25 year old fighter, 
and okay. you're kind of like the the guy that's going to open up the the fight pass card. You're you're let's say you're one and two in the UFC. Do you on do you think that person should honestly still have um, the thought that they're going to be a champion one day? You're one and two in the UFC. You're 27, let's say, still young, but you're you're opening up a card. You're face you're a two to one underdog against you know Joaquin Buckley or somebody. I don't know. Just throwing names yes. out there. Should you should, you, should think... you should you still aspire to be a champion, or should you be realistic that maybe you should maybe you should change the way that you train to to just be a good fighter and just not focus on being a champion, but focus on you, focus on being the best you 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 that you can be. And hey, if you end up being a champion one day, great. But I feel like people, you know, if, if again these are people that work their whole lives towards getting to the UFC in general. Like you're already among yeah. the top people in the world as your weight class if you're in the UFC. So so my. my... Keep going. Sorry. Yeah, so I mean, should should championship aspirations always be there for these young guys, or should a lot of them just be more realistic and say, "Hey, I'm probably not, not going to be a champion one day, but I love doing this. I'm getting better and better every day. I just want to continue continue to be the best me that I can be." I just think every fighter needs the why, and I think that's one of the most important things. When you lose the why in the sport, it can be very brutal. Um, it, it can it can hurt. Going to bed sucks because you're in pain a lot. So you need that why. That why could be, for me, it was becoming the world champion. My everything in life of this sport, the damage, the death before defeat mentality was all because of a world championship. But say that's not the motivation. You do need something else. So a lot of guys will turn around and be like, they have a child and that child sparks the why. I need to fight for this child. I need to support them. So they might not necessarily think about the world title, but the why is supporting of the child. So they'll do everything they possibly can for the child. It could be money motivated, but you do need that why. So I don't think, I think you need to find one of those things that motivate you to make you dig deep, to make you get over those rough patches because there's a lot of them in this sport. Yeah, well, fair enough. I, I like. I just think that there have got to be a lot of people that, you know, let's say you look to the very, let's say you look at the 185 division and you're a, you're a, like, I mean, Joaquin Buckley is a good example. Like, do you think Joaquin Buckley at age 26, his mindset is like, I could beat Israel in two years? Maybe yeah, it is. I think so. Maybe it is. I but, think it is. I think but it if is. you're being real, and I, I don't mean to, again, again, I'm not trying to pick on Joaquin Buckley. He had a fantastic year and had one of the best knockouts of all time. And he's, you know, a three to one favorite in his next fight, I think, is this weekend, actually, against Alessio de Chirico. Like, he's a great fighter. But, um, mm-hmm. You know, do you think that at night he's picturing Israel in his mind and saying, "I'm going to beat this guy. I've got to get there. I got to get yeah, to the top." I think he is. Yeah. Okay. I think he is. I think you kind of have to. That's. I but think if that I ask you, do you think why. this guy could be a champion one day? Is your answer yes or no? Uh, I think the answer from the fighter to the outside has to be different. Okay. I think the fighter does have to be a little bit naive. I think the fighter does have to be a little bit overconfident. Um, you need those types of things. Like when I, I went into glory with seven fights and I was like, I'm going to be the champion. They're like, buddy, we, we, you just fought one time. I was like, I'm going to be the champion. I'm going to fight Nikki Holson. They're like, what? Like, this is your first fight. Slow down. You only have seven fights. He's got a hundred. But I came with that thought. I mean, um, people thought it was crazy, but there's, you know, put it this way. Like I, I know someone before they go to the UFC or not if they're going to be able to become a champion. You just know based on the skill, their the way they fight, their commitment, the the type of fight they bring each time. I think you can tell, but as a fighter, you do have to lie to yourself. You know, they say fake it. Don't fake it till you make it. Fake it till you believe it. Mm-hmm. And I think as a fighter, that's an important line. You have to tell yourself you're the best. You have to tell yourself you're the greatest. You have to tell yourself you're an in- invincible. 
So I think lying to yourself as a fighter is uh, a big part of the game. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I try to wonder about that. Just, I've never been in their shoes, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't really know. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of rationalize how a lot of the people think. Because there are guys. But I mean, you don't do self talk before big interviews and stuff like that. Like before you go to Dana White, like if you if you go in there and you're intimidated and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm good enough to be this journalist. Never. I don't I'm do, talking I never to Dana do, I White. I never do self talk. Never. Yeah. Not, but if you're like, I just you know, I don't I'm know. Aaron Bronstetter, I run TSN. You know, like I'm a big deal in this thing, and I'm going to go do this interview, and I'm going to show everyone that you know this is going to be the best Dana White interview that anyone has ever done. Never done it. I just yeah, I just I go in. I but you don't you don't second desk. No, because I don't want to put pressure. No I don't want to put pressure on myself. I don't want to put. So it's just stay relaxed and do it. Exactly. That's kind of the way I, I approach okay. things. It's like right now I see that I have an interview with Michael Chandler in an hour and a half. It's like oh cool, I get to talk to Michael Chandler yeah. in an hour and a half. Like that's that's honestly that's my perfect. mindset. Yeah. And like good. I don't I don't want to try to be the best. You know I don't want to try say I'm going to do the best interview with Michael Chandler out there because I don't want to put that pressure on myself because. To some people, maybe it is the best Michael Chandler interview that they'll hear. But to other people, yeah. maybe it doesn't give them what they want. I, I, I can't control, you know, and this is, again, something Dustin Poirier has been saying is like, right now, when he got the Conor McGregor fight, he writes the date inside of a circle. He circles it. And inside of that circle, he writes all the things that he can control. And outside of the circle, he writes all the things he can't control. And he doesn't focus on any of those other things. Yeah. So the things that he yeah, writes outside of the circles, he throws them out. They're, they're irrelevant to him. Yeah, um, it's good. Good. So, so like good I activity. brought that up with them, and then at, you know a later question I asked, I go, I'm sure you're probably not. Cons- I'm sure this is probably something that's outside of the circle, but like you know, you look at the betting mm-hmm. odds for this. McGregor's about a three to one favorite. You look at all the, you know, the, your resume the last four years and who you've beaten. Like, is that disrespectful to you? He goes, it's outside of the circle. That was it. It's outside, outside of the circle. circle. Yeah, man, I that's like right. It. That's fair. Good. It's outside of the that's circle. A, I'll take yeah. that answer. I'm not going to push him on that because that's a fair yeah. answer. But the, I, I feel the yeah. same way. Like if I if I said. One of the things I cannot control, and I'm very much, ba- you know, have that same mindset as, um, as uh, what's it called, as as Poirier. Poirier. You know, I my mindset is, um, I can only control what I can control. So I don't know if Michael Chandler might have stepped on, you know, a piece of ice in his hotel room right before I uh, talked to him, and he's in a bad mood. I can't control that. So if I end up having a bad interview with him because he's in a bad mood, there's nothing I really could have done to change that. But. If, mm-hmm. I, if I go into the interview and say, hey, this is going to be the best interview that Michael Chandler is going to do today. It's going to be awesome. He's going to love it. Everything's going to connect. I put too much pressure on myself. So I try to yeah. I try to just not put anything into it. I try to just think of it as like, okay, I'm going to talk to him, and um, this is what, I, what I'm thinking of asking him. And if I don't ask it, that's fine, because th- that means the conversation naturally didn't go that way. It didn't go there. And then the, whatever yeah. the finished product is, I'm happy with it, because I wouldn't say I'm always happy with it, because sometimes I'm not. Like I spoke to Cody Garbrandt uh, a couple of days ago, and I, I felt like it could have gone better. I feel like I felt like yeah, he, his yeah. answers were a little bit too long. Uh, he seemed a little bit tired, um, and I probably could have asked some questions that I wanted to really touch upon. But um, you know, like I, I still thought it was a good interview. I, I just thought it could have been better. And I think all my interviews, yeah. I feel like they could be better. But I don't put that much pressure on myself about it, and I don't, and I don't, I don't loom on it either. Like I don't think back. I didn't wake up this morning being like, "Damn, I, that interview with Cody Garbrandt could have been way better." It's like I've done it. It's yeah. over, and now on to the next. Do you rewatch your things? Rarely. The only time I really yeah, rewatch I it is because I I watch I watch them back to find the clips that I want to kind of put on social media. But then okay. I'm more looking for the clip. I'm not really watching it critically. Yeah, yeah. I like me rewatching fights that I call. I usually watch on mute because I don't want to hear myself. Mm-hmm. 
It's just and something I don't know if that's I a good I or just, bad thing. Like because I feel like if yeah, I, went, I don't know either. Yeah. Yeah. If I went and watched the interviews back, I could probably take notes and say I said the word like eight times in this interview. Let's try yeah, to cut like, that out. Like, I said um six times. Um, I just try not to put that kind of pressure on myself because then if I say um in the next interview, it gets in my head. Then it's gonna yeah. then you're off. Yeah. Yep. And then I'm thinking about me saying um rather than what my guest is saying. Right? So yeah. I don't know. I'm sure everybody has a different method for how they do things, and that's just how I am able to thrive and able to get through the day, right? Because I don't want to kill my myself after thing things, was, you know, in terms oh, of no. my, you know, I don't want to mentally get in my own head and say, oh, man, you really should have done this better. You should have done that better. It's, it doesn't help me. It probably helps other people, just not me. Yeah. One of my more stressful was the public speaking, still getting used to that. Like when we called the, uh, Water Rico, there's 39,000 people. So to do uh, talking and like public speaking like that, that got me really nervous. But usually the other stuff is very, like you said, I kind of just don't think about it. I go with the flow. But when there was that many people and talking in a mic, that got me a little bit. That definitely got me. I'm never worried about public speaking. Like you could, you could say, Aaron, you're going to go speak to like a crowd of a thousand people right now. You're going to get up on stage and you're going to talk about basketball. Go ahead for like 20, for like 20 minutes. I could talk about that. No problem. That wouldn't wouldn't yeah. wouldn't even seem daunting to me. I don't know why. That's impressive. I, That's I, impressive. I don't know why. That's I didn't great. train my brain to no feel that way. Performance anxiety. Yeah. No performance anxiety. That's it. That's the fighter's mentality. I like it. Yeah, but I I I also don't train to be a fighter, right? So if I I train to yeah. I train to talk and I but train to write. But that's your but that's yeah. your fighting. That's your that's your training is doing the reps of the interview. Right. Yeah. And you know, so I mean, I also do a lot of interviews. Whenever somebody asks me to be in their show, a lot of the times I'll like almost certainly say yes because I just I like getting the reps for being a guest. For and sure. I don't care if ten this people is in the show. This is practice. You know, mm-hmm. everything we do is practice, practice, practice. I mean, this is our reps. Like, you know, like some guys in the gym are doing their pads. You're doing the podcast. You're doing these interviews. You're watching and editing. It's just the different reps. I had this conversation with my sister the other day. It's like everybody has the way I look at it, their own world championship. Like right now, like when I was growing up, my whole life was absorbed becoming a kickboxing world champion. My nephew right now is so absorbed in becoming a dentist. His whole life is study, study, study. But I mean, everyone has their own world champion. It doesn't have to be fighting, but like my sister, for example, like raising her kids, like she raised two amazing kids. That was her world championship. You know, everyone has their thing that they put all their effort and energy into. So it doesn't have to be fighting. It's just the reference I'm using. Find your championship. I like that. By Bazooka Find your Joe, championship. My book. Find your championship. <laughs> Find you your championship. Motivational book. It is. I like it. That's you ever it. thought about writing a book? Find your champion. Uh, not really. <laughs> okay. I would be more martial arts based. Yeah. I like I like my martial arts. Too many people write stuff, books. But, uh, That's my opinion. Yeah. Many everyone. Many so many fighters now. And I'd rather just talk and just tell my story. It seems like that's the more popular but way. It's not just fighters. Like, just too many people in general write books. Like, I feel like pe- a lot of people feel like they have a lot of insight on things that they just. Then they're not super insightful. That's just my opinion. Yeah. One of my big stressful things is motivational speakers who haven't really done anything. That stresses me out. <laughs> it stresses you out or, or it annoys me. you? It bothers me. It annoys me. I was like, what have you done? Why are you <laughs> telling me to do this when you haven't even done anything yourself? You know, like I'm, I'm more inspired by people who prove to me that they came from nothing, you know, like. I don't know, the, the Rock's famous story of, I came to this, what did he say? I had $6 in my pocket is his favorite thing. I got $6. But he came from nothing and look where he's become. But some rich guy who's started a company and he's trying to be motivational about being a great business owner. is like, you got everything handed to you. I'm sorry, man. Like, I'm sure there's some skills there. But, like, 
Um, the motivation comes from having nothing and creating something in my eyes, you know? Yeah, so, that's true. I guess if you, if yeah. you, if you're, you inherited your family business and you grew the business and made the business bigger than it was before, you still, bigger you still got a, that's no, but you still, yeah. but you still exactly. got a business. Like you still inherited a business, yeah. right? Like you still started yeah, with something. But it's still impressive. It's impressive. That they grew but it, you still but started so. with something, right? You started with the business. Yeah. yeah. Like I always talk about, like, I'm inspired by like, look at the story of Jose Aldo. Like from the slums, uh, what do they call them? The, the favelas of Brazil, yeah. the favelas to slums, to no money, to fighting to eat, to support his family, to becoming a world champion, to see where he is. Like those are motivational stories through actions. You know, those are the people who inspire me. Do you watch a lot of motivational speaking videos? I feel no, like you don't need to be motivated see them, by they people. Bother me, like <laughs> I don't know. Like I mean, I just stay away. Like I mean, the the Tony Robbins, the Gary Vees, the I don't need those guys telling me to be motivated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it I'm helps. Sure there's it some helps good other stuff. People, I people might yeah. need it. It helps it. I get it. But I want to see. I want to. My motivation comes from that. Uh, the story behind it. Yeah. 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 I guess. I mean, if you don't have an inspiring story behind your your motivational speaking, I don't know. Yeah. Is that hey? Like, don't just read a couple motivation books and now you're a specialist in motivational speaking because you read a few books. Are you are you drinking out of one of those cups that keeps the coffee hot? I've been meaning to ask. Yes, this. I am. So it has the yes, so what's that called? The ember? Is that what that is? No, it's a, it's a it's a yeti cup. No, no, no. It's okay, so it's not, not it's one a that thermos, you actually thermos mug. Okay, so it's a thermos. No, mug. no, no, not yet. I'm not there yet. But this actually does a great job because I like to sip my coffee for a long time. I'm the same way. I like to I hold gotta, it. Get it takes one of those. me an hour, and I hate cold coffee. I don't. Cold coffee should I don't not mind. be cold. I don't mind if coffee's cold or lukewarm. I guess that's probably why I'm not that eager to get a cup like that. Yeah. But we've been talking for over an hour, and the coffee's still hot. All right. Well, there and you I go. I got to enjoy it throughout the whole podcast. So if the guy who created Yeti Cups did a motivational speech, would you be interested in that? Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll see where he started from, and then, we'll, then I'll decide by then. But I do enjoy his cups, whether he's from the slums or not. So it's been a while. I'm trying to think if there's anything we haven't touched on since we've been away. I know Cyril Gone versus uh, Rosenstrike. That's coming up in March. That's, uh, that's a fun one. Shemaev and Edwards yeah. is rescheduled for March. From Another March, yeah. So uh, I just think this next few weeks is insane. Yeah, just, oh yeah. I'm excited to have three fight cards in a week. I mean, that's that's just insane on its own, right there. Yeah, having audio, having a crowd back in the Etihad Arena is going to be cool. Um, the ABC. I mean, a lot of fighters. What, what's your take on this ABC? You think is I know it's a, a big part of the sport uh, to see it on mainstream television, but is it as big as they're making it seem, or is it just? Um, a way to promote that it's on regular television. Well, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't know how much um, we need, how much stock we need to put into cable because it's not like people just have basic cable still, right? Like, I mean, cable, ha- yeah, having exactly. something on basic cable back in the day when there were like twenty channels on the TV, and then and then you had the pay tier, you had to pay for HBO or whatever. Then it's kind of a big deal. If you if you just had basic, if you have five channels on your TV, and there were a lot of people that had five channels on their TV growing up twenty years ago, whatever thirty yeah. years ago. But uh, right now, I just—I mean, it'll get more eyeballs. I think. I think that it'll—it's still a big deal. It's going to be on basic cable. It's going to be on network television. I think that uh, you know. But I also think that it's—it's smart because I believe that I don't believe that ABC has football. Uh, I know college football's done, and the NFL games I think are on that same day. So I think a lot of people understand that there's a, a there's not much of an intersection between NFL fans and UFC fans necessarily. I, th- I think that a lot of people are starting to recognize that people that li- love the UFC, that's their sport. 
they don't, they don't necessarily yeah. watch a lot of other sports. So if you have another sport on another rival network, put the UFC on because you're still going to get a good audience uh, from the viewer that, that enjoys that that specific sport, enjoys mixed martial arts. So yeah, I think for, that's maybe that's why they're doing it. For some reason, you're right. MMA fans like to really stay with MMA. There's a lot of my... They don't really watch other sports, which is it's just weird. It's and then you've got you Malcolm, who doesn't watch any sports. Doesn't watch MMA either. Doesn't watch anything. Yeah. You know, but it's kind of with me, too. Like, I'll, I'll dabble a little bit in a Raptors game here and there or maybe a, an NFL game the fourth quarter or something. But I'm not watching sports, really, or I'm following, reading about them every day. Like, if there's no fighting on and it's, it's a playoff game, I'll, I'll watch it just to be – you know, socially normal, I guess, just to watch it. But ideally, it's just all fighting all the time. If there was fighting on every single day, I would not watch any other sport. Yeah. How's uh, how's Malcolm so, doing, by the way? How's uh, how's he recovering from the uh, the loss? Um, he's going all right. It's a toughness. There's uh, some talks that there might be some matchups uh, potentially in the future for him. But uh, I think he's just trying to stay sharp and just trying to do his thing and grapple to do what he loves. I think a lot of times he went away from what he loved, which is the grappling aspect because of the pressure of camp. So I think he's just grappling every day, hoping, uh, you know, if there's another opportunity for him. Yeah. Well, right now the, the flyweight division in the UFC, they still, they still need people. They still need bodies. So is, yeah. is he still on, on the roster right now? Like, is he still waiting? For um, yeah. Okay. He's still on the roster. Yeah. Still waiting, uh, being patient. And I think in his mind, uh, Something like he's trying to hope on to get something last minute or something like that. He wants that. So who knows? Well, yeah, I guess he just wants another want last, opportunity. Why does he want compete. last minute fights? Is he like well, better? I just think at uh, losing his first two, it's a little bit more difficult to him to get the the fights that now that are planned for him. So I think it's realistic to say that if he gets another chance, it would probably be last minute. And he's, is he able to get yeah. to Vegas? Is he on like a visa or whatever? Like he he could. Uh, I assume so, yeah, I guess from the last times and stuff. So I think he's his medicals and stuff is all up to date. So I think he'd be ready to go. Cool. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. I'm, uh, I'm happy for Malcolm. I'm, I, I'm really eager to see him get that first UFC win. I know that. I know how hard he yeah, works. Me too. And I know how good he is, right? So, uh, you know, yeah. that last one was a tough me one. Me too. Yeah, I mean, just part of the game. And uh, I think his uh, Sue there... Madergis, I think he's going to be a top contender in that division. I genuinely think he is. I think he's a young, talented sniper who uh, is going to give most people he fights a hard time. So I think uh, you'll see Sue in the top of that division. Yeah, I'm eager to see what happens in that division because it seems like Cody Garbrandt still feels like he's going to get the winner of that rematch between uh, Figueredo and uh, and Moreno. And uh, I think Cody would do pretty well against either of them, really. Like, if, if Cody's going to translate to 125 pounds, like, if, if he's still going to be... Because I mentioned this to Cody when I spoke to him. Like, if you look at the, the time that he fought in California, the, the second Dillashaw fight, he was on the card with Demetrius and Henry Cejudo, and on fight night, Cejudo weighed more than Garbrandt did, and Cejudo was fighting at 25. And I think him <laughs> and Demetrius were only about a half pound off. So Garbrandt is a natural flyweight. He just, you know, he, he's yeah. never really cut a lot of weight for 35. So uh, he would obviously have to learn how to cut more weight. But I think that if he gets down to flyweight, a lot of – like I feel like Dillashaw is not a natural flyweight. I feel like Dillashaw cut way too much weight to get down to 25. Way too And that's much. why he got beaten yeah. so easily by Cejudo. But I think that Cody yeah. is actually a more suited to 25. It's just the name value was yeah. never really there for him at 25. And still kind of is. I just – if he can – yeah, but if you can translate that power right. that we saw in him, it's just it's, it's scary. Yeah, it's scary hit. to see someone of that size hit that hard. Yeah, 
And Davison gets hit. Like, I, I, I guarantee that Davison, when he fought Moreno, even after being at the hospital with food poisoning, still weighed more than Garbrandt did for, for probably for Garbrandt's yeah. last fight. Yeah. He, was, he looked big Figueredo's in that fight. huge, man. Figueredo's huge. Just looks like a monster. So, yeah, I think that's uh, – hey, I think Garbrandt brings a name uh, uh, in fighting in the UFC that would make that division exciting. Yeah. I think he could easily, with name value, get the next shot. And we've got uh, Big Fig debuting soon Figueredo's older brother Francisco from Figueredo who's the bigger big of the two he's 100, yeah. 145 pounds we've got Figgy Smalls and we've got Big Fig yeah. Figgy <laughs> Figgy Smalls and Big Figs yeah. there you go that's hilarious <laughs> did they actually name like that or, or did you just make that up Figgy Smalls yeah, I, I believe Figgy Smalls I believe credit is due to uh, Chad Dundas and, and Ben Folks of the uh, of uh, what's the name of their podcast uh, I like Figgy the, Smalls. The co-main event Figgy podcast. Smalls. Figgy Smalls. I yeah. think they came up with Figgy Smalls. And the Big Fig, I'll take credit for. I haven't heard him called that before. So Big Fig? Yeah. There you go. All, all 145 pounds of them. All Big Figs. Yeah. There you go. Right. So we'll see. We'll figs see not a big goes. fruit anyway, so bigger of the figs. The figs are, uh, in terms of hand fruit, they're somewhat big, I guess, a fig. It's like bigger than a yeah. grape. Yeah, true. Yeah, maybe not. It's just, smaller I guess than it's anything smaller else. than most other ones. Smaller than a pear or apple for sure. <laughs> now we're now we're just veering like into, a, into grocery it's talk. It's a fruit game. Yeah. All right, Joe. Well, nice, Someone's nice catching up All with right, you. Aaron. We'll be back next week. What? When, when are you uh, taking uh, taking off for Glory? Glory's got a massive card coming uh, up. Four title be, fights. Yeah, it'd be the week before. So just before January 29th. Okay. So there's no UFC I'll event that that uh, that week. So you, you guys are going to be uncontested. Glory's going to have the uh, the spotlight. There you go. I'm looking forward to that card. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, I know I just cut you off, but four uh, four world title fights that we're yeah. exciting for. Headlined by Rico Verhoeven, Jamal Ben Sadiq, which is a rematch. Great fight. Their last fight was uh, fight of the year. Crazy. Uh, Jamal almost knocks out Rico in the first round. Rico ends up recovering, picking him apart, then knocks him out in the fifth round. Crazy. Then Alex Pereira versus Vahitov, which is a unification. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pereira, two division champion, fighting Vahitov. Is it a unification, like or, is, light is it a unification or is uh, it just a, a champion versus champion? I think they call it a. I don't know what it is when because you have the, the belt are, interim versus. Oh, it's the, an interim title. I thought he was fighting for light heavyweight. Yeah. Oh, no, because he's already the interim light heavyweight. Champion. He's the interim right, light right, 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 heavyweight right. champion. And now he's fighting Vahitov for the unification. Yeah, right, right, right. Undisputed title, yeah. Yeah, the undisputed, whatever it is. And then you have the Tiffany Van Seuss taking Alex Pereira's sister, which is wow. uh, Aline Pereira, which is a, a fun fight. And then uh, the welterweight beef between Cedric Dumbay and Myrtle Grunhardt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was supposed to be so last event. So that's been stemming. Course, right? It's supposed to yeah. be last event. It's been The beef's been going on for a couple of years now. So, uh, yeah, it'll be settled soon. All right, cool. So uh, looking forward to that one. And uh, we'll talk more about that next week, as well as, of course, McGregor and Poirier, the rematch. And, uh, and much, much more. Thanks for this, Joe. All righty.